And then there we go, my mic's on. I was like standing up here, wait, I feel like I'm not ready. Yeah, my microphone's on. Good morning, um, welcome. My name is Austin. It's great to be here today, to see you today. Um, so yeah, we are halfway through this series called Exile, where we've been exploring the story of a life of a guy named Daniel and some of his buddies um, who lived faithfully for God in a very godless culture. And so, so far we've read, um, we've read that they've experienced uh, challenges, they've been tested in, in just a variety of ways, but that they continue to live out their faith in ways that are uncompromising and in ways that resist the culture and the kingdom they find themselves in. And I think as followers of Jesus, this is a very important word for us today, because when we find ourselves being pressured by the culture around us, we typically find ourselves going one of two ways. And I've been guilty of both, okay? But first, some of us withdraw, right? We withdraw, we seclude ourselves from the world around us, we, we isolate and we just decide that we, we just aren't going to engage in certain things, okay? So like we don't read Harry Potter, right? But, but we'll read Chronicles of Narnia, okay? even though there's witches and wizards in both, but Aslan's basically Jesus, okay, right? We all know that, right? I've read both, I love both, both, both are fantastic books, and, and however you decide to navigate that, that, that's completely up to you. Now, others of us, though, others of us, we just sort of blend in. Whether we realize it or not, we assimilate to the culture, and, and, and what ends up happening is there's really nothing distinct or, or about us or the way that we live our lives, except for maybe like once a week, you know, that one, the, the, the Sunday when we go to church, we go to this place and we sing for a little bit and then we listen to someone talk about something that we, you know, we've already heard before, we most likely already know, right? Something along those lines, okay? And so like we've been there before, so we, either it's, either it's we, we separate or we assimilate. And so the story of Daniel, um, whether you've read it before or not, is an important book for us today to learn how to live in exile, how to be salt and light. In other words, how to engage with, not separate from, but engage with the culture around us and live faithfully, not blend in, live faithfully on that like knife edge of faithfulness is what we're calling it, in the, on the way of exile, on the way of Jesus, okay? And so we've referred to this idea as the way of exile or the way of Jesus, because Jesus takes these very same ideas modeled for us, and, and he models them in his life in his way. And so in the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the way of exile being a way of resolve and obedience to God, even in the little things, how important it is not to compromise in the little things, because those compromise leads to more compromises, right? Compromise, compromise is the kryptonite of obedience, We've also talked about how the way of exile is a way of resistance from the idols in our lives. And today we're going to identify another important way in exile, and that is the way of humility. So if you've got the Bible app on your phone, if that's how you prefer to do it, or you're old school, maybe you brought in like a physical, you know, paper Bible, okay? People still lug around those things. Totally kidding. Great, I invite you. I invite you to open up to Daniel chapter four. And uh, if you're gonna follow along with me, you can always follow along on the screen behind me. Um, so, but before we dive in, chapter four is a little different. 
in this, in this story, mainly because it is a story written from the perspective of, of someone you might not expect. This is a story written from the perspective of King Nebuchadnezzar. And so it's really interesting in that way because we're pretty familiar with King Nebuchadnezzar up to this point. Okay, he's, he's the king of Babylon. Okay, and when you're the king of Babylon, you're not just king, you're also God. And King Nebuchadnezzar sees himself as that and he operates like that, right? We said before, he wakes up on a bad day and heads roll. Okay, he's one of those types of people. You don't, you don't like disagree with King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, and so um, in Babylonian culture, that, that's, that's how it was. That's how it was. And so we kind of read that last week, how uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right, or Rakshak and Benny, if you prefer talking vegetables, however that story goes for you, right, but how they, like, they stand up to King Nebuchadnezzar. They stand up. They have, they have a conviction in their belief and in their faith in God. And so we kind of read, and King Nebuchadnezzar, I can't even say it, King Neb, all right, we're going to just <laughs> call, start calling him that because that works for me. Um, what does he do? He throws them in a furnace, right? All right, you don't want to bow down to me? You don't want to bow down to, to Babylon? The furnace it is. Okay, and if you've, been, if you've been reading this, and maybe you've noticed that there are moments in the story where King Nebuchadnezzar, there's just this clarity sometimes. And, and, you're, like, and you're like, hold on a second. That's really cool that King Nebuchadnezzar like promoted Daniel for, for disobeying him. What? That's weird. Like, that's strange. Or, or that he promoted um, Rakshak and Benny. You know, first of all, he was like, holy cow, they just survived the blazing hot furnace. So that's cool. Okay. And, but, but at the end of the day, you have these moments where, where he comes to the end of the story and he says something like, like, pray, like, honor this God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, and then right after that, he has a moment where he's like, and if anyone who doesn't, like, they'll, their houses will be burned and, and their families will all be killed. And we're like, okay. Like, you were doing so good, man. <laughs> right? You were doing so good. Okay, and so we can have this moment where there are moments of clarity in his life for him, but then there's this thing that blinds him, and he settles right back into his old ways. I think that thing that blinds him is his pride. It's his pride. It blinds him, and he again elevates himself to the seat of God, equates himself to God. And in chapter 4, what we see is we see all of that come to a head. Chapter 4 is when we see God confront King Neb and the pride in, in his heart, but I also think we see God confront the pride in our hearts too. And so by pride, I'm not talking about your self-esteem, okay? I'm not talking about the way that you should think about your, yourself and, and your self-esteem or anything like that. By pride, I mean this toxic sense of self-reliance that exists in all of us, this toxic sense of self-reliance, this sense of superiority, right, or even entitlement that often stems from our insecurities, right? Or it's an, it's an overcompensation for our fears, it's that little Nebuchadnezzar inside of all of us trying to build our own kingdoms, our own empires with or without God or apart from God or when we're in the place of God. And pride is just this really nasty, sinister thing in our lives because pride not only keeps you from becoming the person that God wants you to be, made you to be, died for you to be, but it also damages your relationship with others and your relationship with God, ultimately your relationship with God. 
And like, it's funny because like most of, most of the time when we experience difficulties in our relationships, pride is typically the culprit. And it's either yours or theirs or most likely both. Which is why I think, think pride is listed in the book of Proverbs as one of the things God despises. And he despises it because of what it does in us, to us, and around us. Pride. Pride is also one of those things that's really easy to see in other people, right? Really easy to see in other people. Like right now, if I asked you to like think of a prideful person, like right away, you've probably got one, right? And if it's the person talking, I'm sorry, <laughs> forgive me. <laughs> okay, and, and that's true. Pride is, pride, this, is a real, this is a very real struggle of mine. In full transparency, this has been, it's, it's been a difficult journey through the book of Daniel for me. I find this book to be really challenging, but also really revealing to me. And so I pray that's been the process for you. Um, and I'm grateful you're here this week because we've had, we've had some difficult conversations the past couple weeks, and they've just been heavy, been heavy on me. And so, um, and so yeah, we're, we're, talking about, we're talking about pride today, and, and, it's, and it's difficult. It's hard for us. We're, it's really easy to see pride in someone else, but it's really difficult to often see pride in our lives. Like, when we think of someone prideful, it's never us. And this is because I think pride blinds us. Obadiah verse 3 says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. Maybe, maybe, maybe it is that we do, we do see it. We do see it, but we justify it and we call it something else. We call it something like, like ambition, or we call it something, I, I, I'm just trying to provide, or I'm trying to accomplish something great, so we call it something else. Proverbs chapter 16 says that pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Pride is always that thing in our life that precedes a fall of some kind. C.S. Lewis says that pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. And so, yes, I do think there's a lot that we can learn from Daniel and his friends about how to be faithful to God, how to live in that knife edge of faithfulness. But I also do think that this story about King Nebuchadnezzar is another story about how we can also live that knife edge of faithfulness. Because while Daniel and, and Rakshak and Benny show us how to be faithful to God, I think the story in Daniel chapter 4 shows us how God is faithful to us. And this was a great reminder for me this week. And so again, I hope it is, I hope it is for you. Okay, so um, we're going to dive in this morning um, to this first verse. Um, so I've got it up on the screens. And like I said, this is, a, this is King, King Nebuchadnezzar writing. This is a first-person kind of a story of him. And so I kind of just was thinking about it. Like, this is kind of like King Nebuchadnezzar. You're all sitting around a campfire, whatever church camp you used to go to, or you go on camping, and you know, someone's like, hey, we should share our testimonies. That's never happened to me before, actually. So I've never had that like, awkward Christian moment where like, hey, we're going to share our testimonies. I don't know what I'm going to say. Okay, but anyway, I kind of think of it as this is one of those moments where King Neb's like, hey, listen up. This is my testimony. So pay attention. Listen close. Okay, so he starts off. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. 
And so right off the bat, like if, if you didn't kind of have that opening to this, um, or you didn't really have any context, you'd be like, what is going on? Like something has happened to this guy that I don't know about. Okay, so he, he starts off this, this letter like this, this decree. And again, it's not that different from the other decrees that he's put into place, like worship me. But this is so interesting because now he's saying, hey, listen, listen about the awesome most high God. Okay, and then he goes into the story. He goes into the story and it says, uh, this is verse four. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Um, and I actually want to stop there because I think, really, this, this kind of seems like a really insignificant verse, right? Was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. And so at first glance, we're like, yeah, it's just setting the scene. He's trying to tell us where, he's trying to tell us where he was at and what's going on. However, I think this verse is very significant for us and that I think it's setting the spiritual scene too. Because especially as Christians in the West, um, because of what we already have, because we, we have a lot. We have a lot. We don't need for much is the, is the reality. In comparison to the rest of the world, we don't, we don't need for much. And so nowhere is the danger of pride greater than at ease in your own house and prospering in your palace. Nowhere is the danger of pride greater than at ease in your own house and prospering in your palace. Jesus said it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Verse five. I saw a dream that made me afraid, and as I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree, he's all about decrees, this King Neb guy, okay, he's all about decrees, um, that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me and they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in and I told them the dream, but they could not make it known to me. Next verse. At last, Daniel came in before me who was named uh, Belteshazzar after the name of my God and in whom the spirit of the holy gods lives. And I told him the dream saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, right? So even, even Daniel was a wizard, all right? I'm totally kidding, okay? Come on now. All right, so chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. We'll keep going. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these, and I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great, and the tree grew and became strong. Its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Next verse. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. 
Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots and the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze amidst the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. See, I think this is actually, there's a, there's a significant portion here because this isn't the first time where something in Babylon was reaching heaven that God then scattered. Can anyone else think of another, another thing from Babylon? It's in Genesis. The Tower of Babel, that's right. God isn't just confronting the pride of Nebuchadnezzar. God is confronting the pattern of pride in human kingdoms, the pattern of pride in, in every kingdom, in every person. And it's interesting here, because I, I, had, I had to Google this, because I'm like, what does it mean to bound, to bound the stump with, with iron and bronze? And so I don't know if you know this, um, but you will now after I tell you, but if you cut down a tree and you put a metal stake in the center of that stump, um, it'll stop growing. It won't kill the tree, but it will stop growing. And so I think, I think that's significant. So the tree isn't being completely uprooted, but it is being prevented from growing. Okay? And so, um, let's see. We have, in verse 17, the sentence is by decree of the watchers and decision by the whole world at once, at the end of the, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This is why the Apostle Paul encourages us to pray for our rulers, because there is no ruler that God hasn't allowed to do so. And so in here is also another significant aspect of how the pattern of pride and what God does with the pattern of pride. God humbles it. So we'll keep reading. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king even answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or its interpretation alarm you. And Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, May the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Again, I was struck by this moment in the story because I'm thinking, Daniel, wouldn't you want this guy to be uprooted? This guy who ruined your life, enslaved you and your people, put you through all of this crap? Wouldn't you want this? And so there's two, there's two um, lines of thought here, two schools of thought. Um, one is that Daniel was actually afraid of what King Nebuchadnezzar would do. King Neb, for goodness sakes, we're going to just do that, all right? What King Neb would do. There's another school of thought that thinks Daniel has seen the ways that God is trying to get to King Neb, and his heart is being softened to this man, that God is going to use Daniel's faithfulness to him, Daniel's faithfulness to God, to reach this godless pagan king. I tend to think I align more with that school of thought, that Daniel has begun, begun to care for this man, this, this pagan godless ruler 
And so that begs the question for us as followers of Jesus, those, those godless pagan people that we work with, go to school with, those people that we would label as that, those King Nebuchadnezzars, those prideful people, are we praying for them? Are we engaging with them in faithfulness to God? Or are we just, yeah, leave them be. Let God take care of them. I don't think we see that in the way of exile, in the way of Daniel. So Daniel, Daniel responds, and he says, he's, he's afraid. I wish this, uh, this dream was for those who hate you and this interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and the fruit abundant, and all the food was for, under the beasts of the field found shade, and whose branches the birds in the heavens lived. He says, it is you. It is you, king. You have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and it reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and his portion be of the beasts of the fields till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. Is it, it is a decree of the Most High. So this is the second time that we see our God speaking to a godless pagan king through dreams, reaching out to him, trying to get his attention, trying to get him to see that he has been blinded by his pride. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree from the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You will be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you when the time, from the time that you know that heaven rules." Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. So Daniel takes a moment. He tells him this interpretation. Dude, King Neb, God is going to basically turn you into a crazy person. Okay? You're going to be wearing like a tinfoil hat and your underwear on, outside of your pants. I don't know. He's, he's, you're going to look like a crazy guy. You're going to be eating grass in the fields with the ox. Okay? You're not going to shower all right, you're gonna, your, your hair is going to grow long, your fingernails are going to get all creepy like the Guinness World Records ladies, peoples, you know? This is what you're going to look like, dude. Pay attention. Listen to me. Let my counsel be acceptable to you. Hear me out, man. Hear me out. Listen. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, your iniquities to show mercy, and your iniquities to show mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel is about to lay out, right, a way forward for King Nebuchadnezzar that if he would listen, wouldn't result in his demise. You see, King Neb doesn't have to learn humility from the school of humiliation. Right? Been there, done that, graduated several times. 
He doesn't have to learn humility from the school of humiliation. And that is why this word, this dream comes to him. And we too have been given the word. We too have been given mentors, people who care about us in our lives, whether it's your parents, teachers, coaches, youth pastors, ex-youth pastors. I don't know. That's complicated. Whatever. Students, you can always come talk to me. Okay. God put, puts these people in our lives so that we can learn from them. We don't have to take that. You know, some people just like to do, the, do it the hard way, right? We say that about certain people. But, like, listen, we don't have to. You don't have to. We can learn from the successes and failures of others in our lives so that we, too, might not be the victim of our own folly and pride. But in humility, learn. But again, pride has a way of blinding us, doesn't it? And so in verse 28, he says, so, so he says, break your sins. Break your sins. Because it is his, it is his break of your sins. Because it is his, his pride that has led him to sin. Led him to be unrighteous in the first place. Led him to place himself, the good and benefit of himself, above others. Above the benefit and needs of others. So Daniel says, do what is right. Be righteous. Do what is right to others. And maybe you'll be given another chance. King Neb, recognize that you are not God, but rather it is God who has placed you where you are. Pride. Pride is the root of all sin because pride puts you in God's seat. Verse 34. Oh, wait, sorry, verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of a royal palace in Babylon, and the king answered and said, so he's, he's looking out over and down on his kingdom, and he says, is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And I love this. And while the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the, king has or the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven uh, from among men, and your dwelling shall be the beasts of the fields, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, right? And so on. Okay? Until you know that the Most High God rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against King Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, and he ate grass like an ox. He became crazy. Okay? His body wet with the dew of heavens till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. Right? Nails. At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, so, he's, so after the seven years happened. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, says, lifted my eyes to heaven. And I just love the imagery here because I think it's so significant as opposed to the man just a few verses ago was looking down and over his kingdom, noticed where he was looking. He is looking up. He's looking up. I lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Do you like, can you sense the gratitude in this? Can you sense the gratitude here? I think this is really significant to us to know, for us to discover Okay, because where there is humility, you will often find gratitude. Because gratitude sees all that we have, sees it all, and says, thank you. 
Pride sees all that we have and wants more. Praise and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Almost sounds like Hebrew poetry from a pagan, godless king. And at the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and my splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Other translations say my kingdom grew even greater after his humbling. And I think that's a, that's a hopeful word right there for us who've been humbled. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, I praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Amen. This is a really powerful word for us today because I do think, I do think that pride has festered in our culture and in our hearts. You know what's significant about this is God gave King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months to turn to him. That's a long time. (laughs) And even longer before then. Friends, God is faithful to us, even in our pride, even as his enemy. God is still faithful to us and wants to be faithful to us. Man, I don't have much time left. It's usually the case for me, right? I get going and, 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 it's, and it's a lot. I want to highlight three outcomes of pride. Pride drains empathy. Pride drains empathy. Empathy is sensitive to the feelings of others and the perspectives of others, while pride is focused on ourselves. Pride cannot weep with those who weep and laugh with those who laugh. So friends, be wary. Be wary of those people who don't feel with you. Pride is always threatened. It cannot bear to be in the presence of someone better. Pride blinds us to see the unique ways that God has gifted us and leads us to comparison, jealousy, and envy which leads me to this, pride robs you of joy because you will believe everything is owed to you. So what do we do? Well, we know humility is the answer, right? The antithesis of of pride or the anti of pride is humility. And humility begins with the recognition that everything that I have, everything that I am, everything that I possess, I've received from God through Jesus. Humility is the ability to look up instead of down and over. And I think this is so hard for us, especially as Christians in America, because we live in a very self-made hustle culture where everything you have, you have because you did it by yourself. When that is, it's just not true. And that is pride, blinding you 
to some of the very just blatant realities. You didn't choose the country you were born in. You didn't choose the family that you were born into. You didn't even choose the brain that you have or the gifts that you have, but pride will blind you to all of that. And so I've got two things I want us to take away with this week. Two ways that I think the way of humility breaks the pattern of pride. Okay, and this is something that I would encourage you guys to find ways to practice daily. Even if you started weekly, that's okay. But find ways to to integrate these ideas or these practices into your life because I do believe they will make a difference. I believe your relationships will be restored. I just believe incredible things will happen, so here we go. I, I can't spend too much time, okay? Humility is worked out in gratitude. Humility is worked out in gratitude. So start a gratitude list. What that looks like is, is, is getting like a physical, or in your notes, whatever, however you want to do it. But I, I like to write some of this stuff down. Um, and write down the things in my life that, that I'm, I'm so incredibly grateful for, that, that I have been blessed with, that I'm fortunate to have. Good things. And it can be simple, guys. It can be simple. The fact that you've got two legs to walk on today, for goodness sakes. Okay? Start a gratitude list. Humility is worked out in gratitude. Second, humility is worked out in surrender to Jesus as Lord. Because to say Jesus is Lord is to say that I am not. So take that list, that gratitude list, those things in your life, and then surrender it to Jesus. We can look at this list and we can say, God, I'm so thankful for these things. I recognize, God, that you have blessed me with these things. So Jesus, I give them back to you. I surrender them to you. I give them to you. First Timothy 6.17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Friends, let God be your lens moving forward. Get that gratitude list going. Practice just talking out surrender to God. These are ways that we combat the pride in our lives. God is able to humble the proud and exalt the humble. I don't know um, what this looks like in your life, where pride has taken control in your life. But this week, moving forward, as we, as we come into next week, which will be the promise of hope, that's what I'm calling it, because ultimately, I know it might not seem like it, but this book of Daniel is a just large book about a promise of hope in exile. So as we come up on this week, can we just take a look at the things in our lives? Do, take inventory. 
thank God for them, and then surrender them over to Him. Amen? Okay. All right, I'm going to pray, and then the worship team, the worship band's going to come up, and we're going we're gonna to worship this place out of here, okay? God, uh, thank you. First of all, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. God, you, um, you know the areas of our lives. You know uh, some of the falls that we've faced because of our pride. And God, you know, you know that the falls, you know of the falls that we will face because of our pride. So God, this morning, I just want to, I want to pray that whether you're, wherever we find ourselves this morning, whether you're, you're sitting here and you're thinking, I'm in a place, God, I've fallen I, I, I can recognize the pride in my life. Maybe I can't recognize the pride in my life. God, reveal it to me. I'm in this place for a reason. Or maybe we don't see it. God, I pray for community. I pray for people. I pray for a word this morning that would enter into our lives and reveal to us those, those things that pride has blinded us to. You're so patient with me. And I'm so grateful for that. So God, I pray this week we would be reminded of the things in our lives, the very good things that you have put into our lives, Jesus, the things that we are supposed to find joy in because you are in them and because you have given them to us. So we're grateful and we pray this week we find joy in those things. And also to God, we find the peace that comes from surrendering them to you. And the hope that follows, that despite our falls, despite the valleys, despite the furnaces that we find ourselves in, God, you are present and you are king and you reign. God, we love you. And we praise you. Be with us this week. It's in your name. Amen.